Hello and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we talk about canon, legends, and beyond. Tonight we will be discussing A New Dawn by John Jackson Miller, and if I'm not mistaken, this is the first of the new canon books. My name is Beth Van Dusen, and of course with me as always are Chad Schonk and Ryan Chweck. First over to you, Chad. This is your reminder that this is a book club and not a review show. We are going to spoil this book. Also, over the course of our conversation, we're going to spoil a great many things Star Wars, including, and this is very important, including the uh, television show Star Wars Rebels. Well, I guarantee you we'll be talking about the end of that show. Uh, so that'll be spoiled as well. So that has been your spoiler warning. Ryan, what's going on? There's a few things going around on the old hollow net this week. <laughs> Just to start it off, Tom, do you say Vich? Vich? I never know how to say that. I, I always said I always said Vich, Vich, but I don't know. Um, passed away. You know, he wrote the old Dark Empire comic and Tales of the Jedi. Tales of, too. Yeah, and that Dark Empire really expanded into a whole lot of stuff. I used to love Dark Empire. I have issue number one on my wall. I do. Uh, that uh, that's the cover with Luke, right? Yeah, the Dave Dorman covers. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Um, over in book news, and I, I don't think we talked about this last time, so correct me if they did, or I think we know, know more about it now. You know, the, the Han and Leia book that's coming out, The Princess and the Scoundrel, turns out it's a commercial for the Halcyon. Um, <laughs> the book is about them on their honeymoon on the Halcyon. Oh, it's so bad. As long as the book's good, I'm okay with it, but it does give me pause. One of my, uh, employees that works for me. She's down employees that works for me. She's down uh, at <laughs> Galaxy's Edge right now, and she's so funny. She was like, "All right, I'm here with my family. What do you want?" And I was like, "Oh, oh, oh give me a Coke." And she was like, "What?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah go find this Coke. It's in a thermal detonator." And she was like, "I hate you. You're such a nerd." And I'm like, "I'm your boss. Please don't speak to me that way." So. I'm I'm getting my thermal detonator coke. I gotta decide if I'm gonna like drink it and store it or if I want to leave the coke in. I don't think you can see the coke in it. So I want a sprite just because it seems even less threatening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, other books, uh, a really cool one coming out. They're releasing a book called Timelines. It's a visual guide. They're gonna do this big visual guide for the entire canon timeline. So higher public all the way up to sequel trilogy, and it looks really cool. It's definitely one I want to check out. So kind of a replacement for the old uh, Essential Chronology book. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of looks like that with the circle on the front with all the little pictures in it. All right. Over in toy news. So I'm not going to go into a lot of the toy stuff because you can actually listen to all of that over on Needless Things, our toy fair wrap up. But I did want to point out something that came out that we didn't talk about. Well, first they announced Black Crusade, and it's a total piece of garbage, and people are real mad about it. It looks terrible. <laughs> it's real bad. They went the cheap way out and just repainted Chewbacca. They gotta, they gotta walk that back. Yeah. Well, I don't think they will. I think they'll come out with a deluxe one soon. So I actually didn't buy it. Like that's a that's a a big mistake if I'm not buying it. I I wanted Werner Herzog as an action figure so badly, and I'm so deeply disappointed with the face sculpt on it. It looks nothing like him. That's just well, some old man. I will say, wait until you actually see it, because sometimes the face scans don't 
photo real well. So hopefully it'll be better in person. What is interesting, at least about the Black Kersantan, is it has been revealed or it came out in a rumor, I guess. But it's from Yak Face, so it's always true. Uh, it's going to be the first of four comic-based figures they're about to put out. They're going to put out Princess Leia from the run between after Star Wars, where she's in kind of the Amidala-looking outfit with the cape. Right. So it'll be one of her. It'll be the redeemed Darth Vader, which will just be that Darth Vader figure that we all have, but it'll be white, all white, which I'm sure I'll buy because it'll look neat. <laughs> and then they're going to put out Sergeant Creel which I'm super excited about. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Now, the question on him, too, is I'm worried they're going to go cheap with him and just essentially take the Stormtrooper, put an orange paladin on him, and then hand him a lightsaber instead of being beefier than he was. So we'll see. Yeah. Over in the Disney Plus section, we talked about... They are doing the High Republic, the kids show that's rumored. Apparently that thing is a lot further ahead than people thought, and it's already casting. So the casting sheets went out, and it's all for a bunch of little kids, and then like one 40 to 50-year-old. So I assume that's going to be their Jedi master. I'm hoping it's like Porter Ingle or somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and over on the Obi-Wan side, for our last little news for the week, John Williams is going to do the uh, theme for Kenobi, which is exciting. But at the same time, it kind of made me sad because I was like, I I bet this is it. Yeah. But I thought galaxy's edge was it. That's true. That's true. I thought the, I thought the theme to solo was it. Yeah. You know, ever, ever he's been doing this, right? He, he hasn't been doing full scores, but he's been Mm -hmm. doing these little themes for stuff. He did the, the, he wrote the Han solo theme. He wrote the galaxy's edge theme. He's writing the Kenobi theme. Yeah, I feel like Kenobi's a good one to go out on. I mean, he did just turn 90. Yeah, he, he can take it easy. Now, here's a question. For our last piece of news that's on the Net, it is a major spoiler. It has leaked what Kenobi is about or what a major plot point is, and it comes from a very reliable source. So now the question is, do we want to talk about it? Do you want to know? Or do we want to wait? I will leave it up to you. I'll find out anyway. I can't you can't avoid spoilers. I'll I'll do it and we'll and we'll consider how about this? This is a warning. Skip ahead exactly sixty-five seconds. If you don't want to hear what Ryan's about to say. Go ahead. I want to hear it. Okay, Sorry. you have been warned. I've been warned. Kenobi will go off planet. It is not yeah. going to take place on Tatooine. And the reason it's not going to take place on Tatooine is because he will be going to protect a 10-year-old Princess Leia. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. So something must come up. 
Like well, they're getting close to finding her or something. We know the Inquisitors are in it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so he's got to go fight off the Inquisitors or keep the Inquisitors off her tail or something. Mm-hmm. Of all the ways to get him off planet, that one doesn't bother me as much no. as several of the others. Mm-hmm. I still don't like the idea of him him going face to face with Vader again. Yeah, I don't either. Um, but if, I like but, you said, like if there's a reason to leave Blue, Leia is it. Yeah, that's not terrible. That's definitely a huge spoiler. So I'll make sure everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is all for the news. What's happening in the comic pages? Very little. Only one new book has come out since we last spoke. High Republic Adventures 13 by Older in uh, Tolibau. This is the final issue of Adventures to come out from uh, IDW. I believe they're going to be switching over to Dark Horse, right? Yes. It begins to wrap up the story of Lula and Zine and Crix and um, uh, and all these characters that we've been watching the whole time. But it's also a lead in directly into Midnight Horizon. So it, it basically takes place congruently with Midnight Horizon. Yeah, it seems to have it kind of in the middle of the book. So that's actually all that came out. So I went backwards and I found a series I hadn't started. And this one's for Ryan. The Halcyon Legacy series. Oh, God. It's a limited series, each covering a voyage of the legendary star cruiser Halcyon. Perhaps you've heard of it. Throughout the different eras in Star Wars history. The first issue is a High Republic story starring Burry and Nib as they fend off a Nihil attack. Reminder. Tickets are on sale now for a luscious two-night, fully immersive Star Wars experience that will only set you back the price of a sensible automobile. That's it for comics. But more updates on the Halcyon Legacy series as they come out. (laughs) I subscribed. Oh, God. Did they, like, go into the room and they're like, oh, look how nice this room is. Like... The Jedi Knights are all but destroyed. And yet your task is not complete, Inquisitor. The Emperor has foreseen a new threat rising against him. The children of the Force. They must not become Jedi. Yes, Lord Vader. Hunt down this new enemy, and if they will not serve the Empire, eliminate them along with any surviving Jedi who would train them. This is my master's command. And so it will be done. So today's book, tonight's book that we're talking about, is um, a prequel to my favorite Star Wars television show. So I thought we would start off by talking a little bit about Star Wars Rebels. I don't know how to really get into this so much. Uh, you know, Rebels started in uh, 2014. It only lasted for four seasons. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons I like it, is that it's four, it feels like a complete story uh, at, at four seasons. So I thought maybe we go around the horn and just kind of co- just kind of mention like, We'll talk about some of the highlights or some of the lowlights or, or, or just, you know, the, the moments that make Rebels such a great show. I mean, I think staying away from, you know, the big things that everybody always talks about, you know, Twilight of the Apprentice and the final Darth Maul stuff. I liked how, especially towards season four, they did a good job kind of getting to the mythical side of the force. And we got that, you know, with Mortis back in Clone Wars and all that. But yeah. I really liked when they got to the Los Wolves and, you know, um, Ezra, yeah, having that connection with animals and the Tukas and all that stuff. But you don't see as much of that, which is surprising because, you know, they the Force is always talked about as this, like, mythical thing. And I kind of was going back and watching some of that, especially when he follows the Loth Wolves, right, when he goes to 
the world between worlds. And yeah. it almost has like a a Native American feel to it, kind of, which I had never thought of when I initially watched it. And it might be because I'm watching Yellowstone also that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> but I, I appreciated that about it and the way it kind of treated the Force. Well, that's one thing I did want to talk about um, was the wor- was the world between worlds, what it means for Star Wars in general. You know, I mean, that's a that episode was uh, the call to departure, I think, is an understatement. It fundamentally shook what's possible in Star Wars. And I still think I think it's actually the most consequential episode of the whole series, if it's ever um, brought up again and watching. I rewatched it this week and uh you're right about the the symbology and everything and the artwork for Ahsoka, the show. Well, Mortis was a was a whole separate thing that was happening to them. The world between worlds is just something that that they can access. It just is. It's not something being done to them. It's not an external force like the stuff on Mortis is. It's different to me in a way because of the the difference between what goes into it. And, and I like it. I like that it's something that they have control over and that they can touch and reach and go in and pull people out of. Well, I think that's what makes the world between worlds so crazy. Like if they had just gone in and he could witness events or he could hear the Jedi like he did, that would have been one thing. But the minute they pull Ahsoka out. Yeah. He interacts. It completely changes everything. Yeah. Ahsoka? Ezra? You look... Wait. What happened? Where am I? You were fighting Vader. I saw you in there. He was going to... So I, I, I grabbed you and I pulled you out of there. Anakin. <laughs> Morai, you're here. Morai? She's an old friend. I owe her my life. And now I owe you that as well. How did you get here? And where's Kanan? You've missed a lot. You know, what's so great about that episode is at the end when Ezra and Ahsoka are running from Palpatine, actually, mm-hmm. from Sidious. The last words Ezra says to Ahsoka is, When you get back, come and find me. I will. I promise. Which really leads into the end of the series. Mm-hmm. When you get out of here, come find me, he says. Which obviously meant a lot more on, you know, on further viewings. But um, yeah, no, I, I don't. Because doesn't she jump back in through the window back to where she was? I think she does. I think she jumps back to the temple. Yeah, she goes back to the temple. Yeah. Beth, did you have anything that, that sticks out to you when you just hear, when you think about the show? Probably the biggest thing without getting into specific scenes or anything like that, which I totally can. Yeah, no, we but, can. But overall, when I just think about Star Wars Rebels, I think about how much I was dubious at the beginning. I didn't dislike it, but Ezra was just some space Aladdin and Kanan was a dick and you know, Kanan really is a dick. He is. We'll we'll get to that. (laughs) Yeah. But the, the character development over time, how they all grew and became people I wanted to watch people I cared about. I just watched Kanan die again tonight and I, you know, I might've cried again. Oh yeah, absolutely. A little bit again, but uh, you know, they, they started as 
kind of annoying people that I was not sure about following and became characters I really cared about. And it's nothing to do with Star Wars. I started watching because of Star Wars. I kept watching because it's an engaging show and they made me care about these people. I, I think the I'll see you again line and how that kind of goes through is one of the probably better emotional moments in all of Star Wars. It was made even worse because you kind of could see it coming. Mm-hmm. But it's it's done so beautifully. You can't have Ezra and and Kanan running around at the same time Luke is. So they had to get them out of the way. And so, you know, Ezra, of course, they figured out a way to get him out of the way where, you know, to leave it open. But with Kanan, he had to have some kind of fine finality to his story. And I think when we talk about uh, New Dawn, we'll realize how, how full circle he does come mm-hmm. uh, in that moment. And that he's not an inherently, there is a selfish streak in him. <laughs> that he had to kind of uh, eradicate in that moment. And I, and I think uh, it's really beautiful. One thing I liked about the show quite a bit, I'll use this as an example. I was home one time uh, at my parents' house and it was the premiere of season four. And I was like, I don't care what y'all are doing, but I get the TV for this half hour. And it was the episode where they're saving Sabine's dad from the Imperial transport scene where all the Mandalorians and, um, and Ezra's got a jetpack. And they're trying to save him out of this uh, imperial personnel carrier. I forget his. I forget uh, what's Sabine's dad's name. I know. I know Ursa's the mom. But and the and, and my dad walked in and my brother walked in and they both ended up during the action scene. They got really. They sat down and started watching it and was like, "Wait, this is really good." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just based on the fact that they they actually delivered some really good fun action scenes, especially in the, in the last few seasons. Very inventive. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Filoni Mandalorians. And we get a lot of good stuff from them. But uh, that that fourth episode, season one, I remember it being like a, a really nice kind of getting out of the gate episode. One of the characters we haven't mentioned yet, of course, is Thrawn. This is our first chance ever to see a walking, talking Thrawn. Well, Thrawn, what do you think of Governor Price's theory about the rebels in the Lothal sector? This is a pirate our rebels rescued from Naraka prison, Honda Onaka. Within the last hour, the Phoenix Squadron destroyed mining guild ships using the Zurita hyperspace waypoint. Taken separately, they may seem unrelated, but Onaka's cellmate was a laborer at our Starfighter reclamation plant in the Yama system, one jump point away from the Zurita attack. Grand Admiral Thrawn believes the rebels intend to raid the plant and steal fighters for their fleet. Every ship they add to their arsenal increases the threat to our own Amada and the Emperor's plans. I trust you have a solution. I will start my operations here and pull the rebels apart piece by piece. They'll be the architects of their own destruction. Now that we've read Ascendancy, do we like Rebels Thrawn? So that's one of the notes I had. After reading Ascendancy, and I think we've talked about this before, that why you know why the tie defender program like why was he so big on this tie defender program and kind of looking now after ascendancy the defenders have everything he needs to fight the grisk they're shielded they go to hyperspace the weapons on board those things are designed to fight the grisk and so it's kind of interesting kind of reconning that into what we know now Oh, I think it's super smart. That's why I think it's Zahn's masterpiece, right? Like he was able to take this thing and, and reverse engineer it and it works really well. I I, I like the throne they presented on the show. Like, uh, you know, again, going now that we've read Ascendancy, 
his obsession with tracking down the rebels to me is just like his obsession with tracking down pirates mm-hmm. yeah. that he does in the books, the same techniques, you know, as we know, when he swear, when he swears an allegiance to something, whether it's the ascendancy or the empire, he takes it very seriously, you know, and it doesn't matter if those rebels are our heroes. Thrawn takes it very seriously that he has sworn himself to the empire. And we got a little rook. And we got rook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got some Nogri mm-hmm. animated Nogri. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing I like about Rebels, and we talk about it with Filoni a lot. Like, Rebels brought Black Sun back into canon. Mm-hmm. You know, Filoni has been this kind of savior of the expanded universe, and I like how they they have been, how he brings in these uh, these elements. I, I mean, I love that we get to see them. I was, I'm a big fan of the Antilles extraction. Yep. The fact that Wedge ends up kind of joining the crew. Um, I love that. I love that they do make Rex by the end of the series look like that dude who's in the Falcon in Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Well, and all of this stuff, you know, the episode where they kind of go where the Clone Wars is essentially still happening. They don't know it's over, basically. Like, yeah. that's such a good episode. Yeah, I think my other thing, the other character I really like how they handled was Maul. It's oh yeah, well, yeah. and we've talked about Maul so much and how they've kind of fixed his story, but. I like the old mall. You know, he's he's been beaten yeah. down. Life <laughs> is terrible. And as good as that Obi-Wan fight is, it's really when Obi-Wan's holding him at the end that makes it. Yeah. Like when basically, you know, he tells him that they got to end it. Tell me, is it the chosen one? He is. He will. Avenge us. And I, I don't know. I, I think I said this on an episode recently, but I don't know if I want any more Maul. Like, I feel like yes. I've seen yeah. that arc. That story's wrapped up. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to get that much more. There are gaps in the story. But I, don't um, know. I mean, it is. You can't mention Rebels quick without the without that fight, though. <laughs> Oh yeah. Without that episode. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful moments that Star Wars ever created. Mm -hmm. And just the whole, like the way Maul tries to seduce Ezra, you know, and uses the, the holocron with the prophecy and all that stuff. Like, right. It's all so good. The first time I saw it, I was annoyed because it had been hyped up so much on the internet. And then when I finally saw it, I was like, wait, that's it. And then I watched it again. I was like, Oh, okay. No, actually that was perfect. It's a mercy killing. Mm hmm. He's, he's just ending Maul's pain. Yeah. Because all Maul is is pain. He's just helping him out a little bit there. Mm-hmm. Ahsoka, when you started the show, did you expect Ahsoka to show up? No. I did not. No. Hello, my friend. It is good to see you again. I don't understand. I met you once for a few moments. I don't even know your name. His name is Senator Bail Organa. And the crews of the blockade runners? Members of other rebel cells. There are other cells. We're a cell? Wait, did you know we were so? Um, no. We weren't supposed to meet. That way, if captured, we couldn't reveal the other rebels to the Empire. That was the protocol. The protocol has changed. Fulcrum. Ahsoka. My name is Ahsoka Tano. Why did you come here? Because of you and your apprentice. Many in this system and beyond have heard your message. You gave them hope in their darkest times. We didn't want that hope to die. So what happens now? I don't know. One chapter has closed for you, Ezra Bridger. This is a new day. A new beginning. 
Because it was a big surprise there at the end of season one. Mm-hmm. I had hoped. Yeah. <laughs> I had hoped. But um, now she's only really a factor in that one season, though. Right? In season two? Um, I mean, yeah, more or less. Yeah. She vanishes at the end yeah, of season two. True. Yeah. And she doesn't come back till four. I just, re- I just remember revealing her being Fulcrum was a, a big moment. Mm-hmm. And I was very upset that there wasn't going to be another episode for a while. With the... The remaining time that I had tonight after watching Kanan die, I rewatched one of my favorite scenes and I had not seen Rex and Ahsoka's reuniting scene since the last season of Clone Wars. And after the last season of Clone Wars, that scene takes on a whole other level. Yeah, I can see that. Absolutely. Amanda. You got old. Had to happen sometime, Rex. I'm glad you're still alive. You too. Even even the stuff that I would consider hokier, like Zeb and Callus, um, who were the second best couple on the show. <laughs> yeah, because we all know that's where they were going at the end. Absolutely. We're going to find Zeb's people. And by people, I mean a planet where we can just be alone. (laughs) And and also, and well, and also here's my, I'm going to introduce you to my family. (laughs) Taking him home to meet mom. (laughs) Yeah. You think you killed them all. So, you know, but you didn't, but Hey, Ma, I brought home a boy. (laughs) Uh, But, uh, but that, that episode though, where they're stranded together, you know, does change, does, you know, I, I like how it would take little things like that and it would, you'd have one episode and then it, it changes the course of the whole show, mm-hmm. you know, by, by Callus turning after his experience with Zeb. And Zeb's a character that I probably care about the least, I guess. I still love him, don't get me wrong, but, uh, and his figure's great. Mm-hmm. He's the one that I care about the least, but it's still the, the him and Callus storyline and the, the storyline about the Les Lasats and, you know, the fact that he's based on the original Chewbacca drawings. Mm-hmm prototype drawings makes him you know he's really cool looking and they put a lot of mccurry stuff a lot of ralph stuff yeah. in rebels i mean there's other things too right they brought in the inquisitoris I- <laughs> which which was from expanded universe stuff mm-hmm. which at first i will say when they would do their helicopter lightsaber thing i'd be like yeah. oh god this is so dumb like but then I, yeah, and i was like all right well spinny lightsaber is kind of cool <laughs> i guess i mean as a as a buffy fan it's, it's, it feels bad to say that right now, Beth. Yeah, that sucks. I know. Um, as a Buffy fan, I was very happy to hear for Sarah Michelle Gellar to get on the show um, with her husband. And um, uh, so I, I enjoyed the, the Inquisitors. Also, you know, they also killed several of them, right? Yeah. <laughs> like it was fairly, I mean, the show, one thing I will say about the show rewatching it, it was violent. Mm-hmm. It was very, I mean, they are on Clone Wars. They're spending a lot of time killing droids. And in Rebels, they're spending a lot of time shooting stormtroopers, which is different than a droid, you know, which has got a person in there. I think I figured out though, watching it, I think I figured out why they had to ha- move away from the clones for the stormtroopers is because you have to, in order for you to use them as cannon fodder, they have to voluntarily be working for fascists. Mm-hmm. They can't have been like bred that way because then it's like, you're murdering people that have had no choice in the matter. You have to give the stormtroopers agency to have joined. Mm-hmm. Therefore, they're, it's okay to shoot them, <laughs> I guess. Well, by the, end, by the end of the Clone Wars, you also had a lot of clones that have interacted with a lot of people and started to see the clones as people. 
So, so you can't just throw them out in, in front of cannons to get foddered anymore because, you know, the majority of people that have been involved in the Clone Wars see them as people now. And they see them as people with individual personalities that are not disposable like a droid. Well, even but even just the viewer feels the same way. Well, the viewer feels that more strongly if you're a good viewer, because I am so invested in Rex. <laughs> yeah, no, you get invested in the clones and and they become characters to you. And I think that if if we knew that all the stormtroopers were clones, it would feel bad. <laughs> you know, I, w- I would I would feel less. I don't know. It would it would be an awful feeling whenever they're shooting stormtroopers because I'm like, they don't have a choice. Yeah, they're, they're killing the slaves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're killing slaves. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's bad enough that the robots do it, but um, yeah, I just kind of figured that out watching it until Clone Wars ended until we got our final season of Clone Wars. I would have said my favorite thing in Star Wars animated was um, Twilight of the Apprentice. Mm-hmm. There's just it's so good. There's so many good choices <laughs> that they make when they did it. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I mean, the best choice they made was the voice, the way they kind of did the weird Matt Lanter Anakin with Vader's yeah, voice. Va- with Vader. Yeah. Yeah. Ahsoka. Anakin. I won't leave you. Not this time. Then you will die. I am no Jedi. Still, no matter what <laughs> show it's on, remains one of the best Star Wars lines there is. I, I just think it's my favorite of the shows because Clone Wars, in my opinion, had more. One, there's a lot more of it, but but due to the fractured nature of Clone Wars, right? Due to the the anthology kind of feel to it, right? You know, the, the individual story arcs that weren't necessarily congruous with each other. You know, they didn't necessarily follow um we didn't always know when we were in the continuity mm-hmm. uh and there were story arcs that i flat out just didn't enjoy you know i mean it's it's easy to pick on the jar jar episodes or the droid episodes you know um but those early ones were not very good and with rebels and i get what you're saying about ezra beth but like with rebels from the beginning i it's the same you know what rebels to me is the same thing as better call saul is yeah with better call saul they spent six seasons, seven seasons, six seasons making Breaking Bad and getting real, real, real good at doing that. And so then when they rolled right into Better Call Saul, they're they're still already really good at doing this. And what happened with Clone Wars, right, is by the time they got to the end of Clone Wars, they were really good at making Clone Wars. And so you roll right into Rebels and they were already good at making this type of show. And it may have taken a little while to find its feet entirely, but it was so serialized. You know, I know it had little story arcs, but still, like, it felt like you were following these characters much more dynamically than you were on Clone Wars and, uh, and more linearly to the point where, you know, I said I rewatched the finale and there's so many little hints in those last couple of minutes about what's to come. Okay, here's the question. You get to the end of the series. Does Dave know what's to come <laughs> or is it just a cool way to end? As for me, I used to think that Ezra was counting on me to protect Lothal, the planet and the people he cared for so much. But one day, I realized there was more to it. 
There was something else I was meant to do. Ezra's out there somewhere. And it's time to bring him home. Oh, I'm, I'm sure he up. had ideas of where he wanted to go. I think he has said, and I'm trying to remember exactly how he, he put it, that he didn't have a definitive what's going to happen, but he had some like vague ideas. Right. Like he was leaving it open for somebody else to take it over if they needed to. Because I think it's important to remember too, at that point, Dave is still the animated guy. Like, yes, being the mastermind of everything that he is right now, that was not the case then. And, you know, good or bad, we'll probably talk about some on the Book of Boba Fett episode. But uh, I say that. It's not bad. <laughs> you no, know, it's not bad. But, <laughs> it's not bad. It's just underwhelming. Yeah. Um, I didn't remember where I was going. When you have Clone Wars, really, I mean, your standout character, obviously, is Ahsoka. But the rest of the characters on Clone Wars, I think what makes Rebels better in some senses is you always knew where Anakin was going to end. Like, Anakin has a start and end point, and we know what that's going to be. More or less the same for Obi-Wan. Not that they don't develop them really good on Clone Wars, but we know what it is. And with Rebels, you got these new characters that had really good arcs that you didn't know where they were going to I was worried about them. Yeah, they were nice and complicated. Like Sabine's arc over Rebels is amazing. Yeah, oh yeah, no, of course. Uh, And and that helps, of course, contribute to the fact that they could kill Kanan. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Leading to that moment, you know, they kind of had to. But but you're right, like they – not knowing their fates makes it a lot more tense, you know. Like I think by the time the show was over, we knew Hera – because Rogue One was already out, yeah, so we'd already okay. gotten the hint that, yeah. that Hera was there. And I actually think the Forces of Destiny short had already come out that takes place mm-hmm. after the Battle of Endor and Hera was in it. But beside, but, but, but the rest of the crew, we had no clue. Now, this show did prove to us that Twi'leks and humans are sexually compatible. <laughs> it's true. Where is Jason Solo? Is, well, yeah, where's Jason Solo, first of all? Yeah. Jason Solo, is, he's in the ether now in, more, in many ways. Is this the first, like, mixed race Creature character we've had on the show with Jason. I mean, I think the first. I mean, one not we, on the show, but I mean in Star Wars. It's the first I can think of that we know about. They talk. You talk about it. And we talk about sexy, sexy Twi'leks. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> and 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 when we get to New Dawn, it's going to be a lot of talk about sexy, sexy Twi'lek. You want to think about something really gross? Imagine uh-huh. if Jason, instead of having the you know green hair or whatever, if he just had flesh. Montreal. Like like yeah, like not Montreal, yeah, Turkey. Yeah, if he had flesh like bald like <laughs> hanging down all limp over his shoulder. <laughs> he looks better green. Yeah. I remember the moment Ezra shaved his head and I was like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> you know, when Ezra cut his hair, you were like, "Things have changed." Because that was remember that was where Kanan because we came back in season 3 and Ezra had cut his hair, Kanan was blind. Like things that they had really taken a whooping at the end of season 2. Starts experimenting with the dark side a little bit. A little bit, yeah, you know. Well, he's a teenager, well, you got to experiment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got them all around, you know, to, to help, you know, to be the that that shady guy. <laughs> in your neighborhood that'll always buy you beer or <laughs> hey kid you want to see a little dark side yeah. you know hey i got this holocron you want to look at it <laughs> are we ready to see them in real life or do we like this them coming to real life you know or or are we nervous 
I mean, I get, I guess my nerves are a little sated by the, by them doing Ahsoka well. Yeah. But, yes. but, um, but anytime you take a character like that, that you have such a strong, strong opinion of and a strong sense of, and then you put them, then you put a real person in. And a lot of times it's a famous person. It's a lot harder for a famous person to like vanish mm-hmm. into a character like that, you know? Cause like I thought they did Ahsoka exceptionally well. I still know it's Rosario Dawson. Mm-hmm you know, playing her. Well, they haven't you know. jacked up any characters from the cartoons to real life yet that, that I know of, that I've seen. I haven't felt anybody's been jacked up or done wrong no. or done dirty. Bo-Katan should be older. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a that. minor gripe. Are we eventually going to see everybody? I mean, except for Kanan. Well, if you think about it, one of the things that I was looking at when I was looking at my favorite moments of Rebels was there was a there's a lot of callbacks and there's a lot of people brought in from the Clone Wars. I mean, are they just going to do that for a little bit here? And then eventually we're going to get out into some new stuff where we have new characters doing new things. You know, you say that, but like the Mandalorian's a new character. This whole thing kicked off. The whole TV revolution did kick off with a brand new character. Mm-hmm. True. I mean, you know, yeah, they've been using these cameos since. But I would say that the Mandalorian has been telling us a new story. But but I but I get what you mean. Like all all the series that are coming up are named after people that we already know, except for the acolyte. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything else is is something that already exists. But the way I like to view my Star Wars or experience my Star Wars, like yeah, okay, <laughs> give me all those details about Cassian Andor. You know, um, Cassian Andor. Cassian Andor is a different thing. <laughs> A New Dawn by John Jackson Miller was released on September of 2014, just about a month before the computer-animated follow-up of The Clone Wars, Rebels, began to air. The prequel novel, set six years before the series, begins on Coruscant with a young Padawan, Caleb Dune, being kind of a smart-ass and kind of a genius during a class Obi-Wan is teaching about the Jedi homing beacon system. The recall is exactly what it sounds like. The teacher started to turn back to the beacon when he spotted Caleb Dune jabbing his hand in the air again. Caleb wasn't one to sit in front for every lesson. No one respected a teacher's pet. But shyness had never been one of his afflictions. Yes, Caleb? Why? The boy's voice cracked to mild chuckles from his companions. He glared at the others and started again. Why would you need all the Jedi here at once? A very good question. Thanks. The main thing he gets out of this exchange is the imperative that when the beacon goes off, if the beacon goes off, and it hasn't for a very long time, but if it does, do what it says and await further instructions. This is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Republic forces have been turned against the Jedi. Avoid Coruscant. Avoid detection. Stay strong. May the force be with you. And we skip ahead forward to time a little. Order 66 has happened. The Republic has fallen. The Jedi have been eradicated. A Sith Lord sits atop the galaxy. And we find Caleb, now calling himself Kanan Jarrus, who has become kind of a roughneck womanizing drunk while he's been awaiting further instructions. Kanan is working as a freighter pilot for a corporation called Moonglow, and we find him shipping something to the Gorse system, where the system's namesake planet and its moon Cinda are really into mining Thoralide. And I mean really into mining, as Ryan said. There's a lot of mining. Um, they're really into mining Thoralide, which is an ore 
I think it's an ore, uh, that is used to manufacture the shock absorbers of turbo laser cannons for starships. Very specific. To increase production, the Emperor has dispatched half-man, half-machine cyborg. That seems to be his thing, because it's not Vader and it's not Grievous, but it's another half-man, half-robot half cyborg thing named Count Vidian, and Vidian will be our villain for the evening. So Kanan brings in his shipment at the same time that another spacer, a Twi'lek named Hera, arrives in her bitch and freighter on Cinda at the same time, and they arrive at the same time. Kanan has a buddy named Okadaya, who runs a cantina. He has another friend named Skelly, who is going to cause most of the problems in this book. Skelly is worried that all of this Imperial mining will lead to a catastrophic end to Cinda. And when he is heard talking about this, the Imperials immediately try to grab him. But Skelly escapes by blowing something up. And that is not the last time Skelly will, will blow something up. Uh, and then he goes on the lam with a bag of explosives. There's a lot that goes on here. Uh, business stuff, corporation stuff. That's honestly like felt like it was in the way a little bit. Um, Vidium beats a Nemoidian to death, which was pretty mean. Um, for some reason, goes to Obadiah, Obadiah's bar, Obas, Obadiah, right? Goes to Obadiah's bar and accosts him, but Kanan stands up to him and Vidian and his stormtroopers leave and nothing really happens. Um, but all this time, Hera, who is looking for someone on the planet, is skulking around in the shadows and seeing some of the stuff that Kanan is doing from afar. She does a lot of skulking. Kanan's a real dick, by the way, and uh, hands Skelly over to the Imperials when he comes to him for help. But Hera sees this and ends up springing Skelly out of jail using a street gang called the Sarlax to create a distraction. But that turns that turns on her and the gang accosts her. And Kanan sees this beautiful, helpless little Twi'lek woman and tries to help her. He does kind of, but she proves to be more than capable of taking care of herself. Slight aside. John Jackson Miller wants you to know that Hera is beautiful and that Kanan likes her and he will tell you approximately 1,865 times. I'm just going to tell you once. Hera is beautiful and Kanan likes her. So it gets kind of complicated in the middle. Hera tries to recruit Skelly to be a rebel but decides he's a crazy crank. But somehow Kanan and Hera agree to help Skelly infiltrate the Moonglow chemicals on the moon there because Vidian is coming to visit. Using Kanan's Moonglow badge, Kanan and Hera infiltrate the place to try to spy on Vidian. Vidian arrives in a shuttle with our friend Ray Sloan. Ryan, did you like that? Ray Sloan? Who is just a captain at this point, but commanding her own ship and his Basilisk chief operating officer and her husband. Things don't, I'm not going to get into it, but things go real badly for them. When Vidian and Sloan try to leave, their shuttle blows up from a bomb planted by Skelly. The two Imperials with names survive, but some stormtroopers are killed. And then Vidian and Sloan attempt to make it to a spaceport. After a speeder chase, they arrive, but Skelly had got there first. And boom, another shuttle gets blowed up right before Vidian gets on it. Ah, Skelly. Great at explosions, real bad at killing people with them. After all that, Kanan, Hera, and Skelly are on the run, and Kanan is none too happy. He didn't want any of this shit. He is hiding from the Empire. He hasn't even touched his lightsaber since Order 66. He is trying to keep his head down, but man, is he a sucker for a pretty green face. The three of them escape in a hover bus back to Obadiah's bar, the asteroid belt, and he shelters them there. And somehow in here, I think it's through the character named Zaluna that I barely noticed until she got important, uh, that lets them know that Vidian had been listening to Skelly's warnings or read his report about Cinda um, that too much explosive would destroy the moon. And he's decided to do that, <laughs> actually, to blow up the moon and just collect the raw ore from space. Uh, Hera tries to explain to Skelly that the random attacks that random attacks like his are not the way, that they need to be more coordinated in their resistance to the Empire. Kanan is still not buying this shit. Sloane isn't too keen on blowing up the moon, but Vidian outranks her, I guess. I wasn't sure about that. And sets plans in motion. As kind of an appetizer, Vidian bombs the mining operations on Cinda. Kanan and company see this from the surface of Gorse, and they get in a freighter, fly to the moon, and find Obadiah dying in his bar. 
Then through some clever deduction, our fledgling rebels figure out that Vidian is stockpiling the explosive he's going to use he's going to use in the Calcaran system, and they decide that they have to head there. They hop in Kanan's freighter and head off. Since Kanan's ship is registered and stuff, they are able to dock with the Imperial Space Station there. Hera tells, oh, this is also when Hera, Kanan learns that Hera is way better of a pilot than he is. <laughs> and that's really funny. He thinks he's a good pilot, and then and then Hera gets behind the controls, and he's completely shamed. Since Kanan's ship is registered and stuff, they are able to dock with an Imperial Space Station. And Hera tells Kanan to go ahead and load the ship like she's, he's supposed to, because she's going to go run off and blow up the station. Kanan stops her and convinces her of another plan that has something to do with falsifying data, which, to be fair, is far less interesting than blowing up the station. While aboard the station, Hera and Kanan get into a fight with Vidian, who kind of kicks their asses, until Skelly uses a droid to knock him out. They hack into his brain and discover that his true plan is to blow up the moon and deteriorate the ore, thus screwing over his main rival, a guy named Baron Danth, who does not not sound like Cobb Vanth, so it made me chuckle every time. They then capture Sloane, and Kanan pretends to be an ISB agent, and tells the Imperial captain that Vidian, what Vidian is truly up to. Then they head back to Cinda to warn people that shit might about to get real. When Vidian's ship arrives in Cinda to commence the exploding, Kanan, Hera, and Skelly somehow land Kanan's freighter into its hangar bay. Well, they do it because Hera's a really good pilot. Our heroes storm the ship, Skelly dragging with him, of course, a bag of explosives. This ends up with a big fight against Vidian, where at one point Hera runs into him with a forklift, and Zaluna ends up going blind, which foreshadowing, probably not. And all this is happening when we have like four minutes until the moon blows up. Sloan decides that what Vidian's doing isn't in the best interest of the Empire, and orders Davidian's crew to stop the countdown and arrest him. This leads to a three-way firefight between our heroes, Sloane's tr- stormtroopers, and Vidian. And Vidian kills like all the stormtroopers real easy. As the ship is getting damaged, a catwalk begins to fall, and Kanan sees that it's going to crush Hera. No, he doesn't actually see that it's going to crush Hera. He sees it crush Hera in the future. He had put away the Force for so long now, but in this moment, it was reaching out to him, giving him a path. He turns on his Jedi Force speed and gets in the way of the catwalk, and then reaches up, reaches up a hand and using the force stops the debris from crushing them. Hera sees this and knows what it means, but doesn't say anything. Oh, and of course, after Hera and Kanan escape the doomed ship in a pod, uh, Skelly finds Vidian and blows them both up together. <laughs> so at least Skelly finally got what he wanted. In the aftermath, Sloan gets a promotion and Hera asks Kanan to come aboard her ship, the Ghost, and join her cause. He says he'll come with her, but only as a crew member, not as a rebel. She agrees, and they fly away in her magnificent ship, starting an adventure in a relationship that is going to make me cry like a baby in a few years. I would like to apologize to Zaluna, but there really wasn't room for her, and I didn't really care about it, her anyway. Apparently, there was a character named Zaluna. I know she was in it, but I just completely like, I, I, I don't know what, I was listening to the book, and I knew she was there, but I, it wasn't until the end she got important, and I was like, why are you important again? <laughs> By the time she got important, you'd forgotten who she was. I really did. <laughs> I really did. Um, so my first question is, where's Chopper? Mm-hmm. That's a valid question because we now know that they've been together since she was quite young. So where is? Now, did you read Filoni's introduction to the book? Yes. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Star Wars is an incredibly creative galaxy where storytellers have sent Jedi on countless missions, explored numerous planets, and discovered hidden treasures since 1977. I grew up with the original trilogy, and as the years passed by, I read the books and comics, I played the games, I saw the re-releases, and I could not believe it when one day I sat in a theater and the screen said, Episode One. It was a day I had waited for, for a long, long time. I went to all the prequels on opening night, 
stood in lines like we all did, went to the Midnight Madness toy releases. I really enjoyed the community that had grown up around the Star Wars universe. Little did I know that before the final prequel film was released, I would move to Northern California and begin work on Star Wars The Clone Wars right alongside the maker, George Lucas. I felt like I had won some Star Wars lottery. But I also felt a tremendous responsibility to all the people I knew who loved Star Wars to make sure that I got it right. As my own personal Jedi training began, I always had George there to answer the deeper questions, to make certain that we got it right, that we truly made Star Wars the way he wanted it. He used to joke with my crew and me, telling us that he had been teaching us the ways of the Force so that one day, when he retired, Star Wars could keep on going without him. I'm not sure we ever believed him until it happened. So how do we move forward? And how do we make sure we get it right? Very simply, we trust in the Force. And we trust one another. We came together as a group and found the best talent. People who, like you and me, love Star Wars and want to make it great. Who want to capture the feeling that it gave all of us, that inspired all of us. More than at any other time in its existence, new Star Wars stories are being told every day. More important, the old concept of what is canon and what isn't is gone. And from this point forward, our stories and characters all exist in the same universe. The key creatives who work on the films, television, comic books, video games, and novels are all connected creatively for the first time in the history of the Star Wars universe. A New Dawn is a result of this method of story collaboration here at Lucasfilm. As executive producers of Star Wars Rebels, Greg Weissman, Simon Kinberg, and I had input on the story and characters working with author John Jackson Miller. I even got to make comments on the look of Kanan and Hera for the cover. Maybe a small detail to some, but it was exciting to be a part of that process and to know the characters would remain true to their intended design. I really hope you enjoyed this story and that it enriched your experience and knowledge of the characters in Star Wars Rebels. There are still countless worlds to visit, countless aliens to meet, and with the incredible talent we have coming to work at Lucasfilm, the way forward looks clear. Last, I must thank you. Whether this is your first Star Wars adventure or one of many over the years, thank you. Thank you for your dedication to and passion for the Star Wars galaxy. Because of fans like you around the world, the Force will be with us always. Dave Filoni. What kind of tease is Miller making us wait for the ghost like that? What kind of tease is he? I guess she she wants to keep the ghost secret. Is that what it is? That's that's what like, I assumed. Because they're flying in all these ships, and I'm like, you should be in the ghost. It's way cooler. Maybe, maybe that's where Chopper is. Yeah, it's before the show comes out too. So like, this is six years. Yeah, the book. You mean yeah, the book. Yeah, the book comes out before the show. Now I didn't read it before the show, but like, I mean, if you're reading this before you've watched Rebels, you're just like, well, all right. like you've got the ship that's great i guess that's true that's true it doesn't mean much to you if you haven't seen the show Um, yeah that's that's fair i really liked the opening i really liked this um i thought it was very the i thought the the idea of the jedi homing beacon 
which mm-hmm. always felt like a little bit of just like a plot device in Revenge of the Sith. I thought it really hit home in this. I thought Miller did a really good job of finding a way to explain it in a, in a, in a way that was emotionally kind of um, resonant. Yeah. My, my first thought when, when I heard them talk about the beacon is like, Oh, here they go. They got to like drag this in to make it make sense to the super nerds. But um, no, they did it well. And it not only made sense to me as a super nerd, but it made sense as, as a plot device. I think it sets up Caleb too. Absolutely. Caleb's already thinking like someone could screw us and kind of sets up, not that it plays out that way when we eventually see it, but sets up how he would survive Order 66 because he's already has that thought in his head. Like someone could come after us and destroy us. Yeah. Or just something, you know, I love that entire opening chapter because, you know, as Obi-Wan, he asks Obi-Wan, why, why would we activate it? Why would we want to bring all the Jedi home? And he asks, he said, well, what do you think? And his answer is, I have no idea, an unexpected reason. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same thing here, right? It's like, yeah, you could set the signal to tell everybody to go away, which is interesting because that does that plant that in Obi-Wan's mind? Oh, I 100% yeah. think so. You know? And then, but what I thought was even more moving was as Obi-Wan tells him, follow the directions, await further orders. And that's kind of what Kanan's just doing. Mm-hmm. Now, he's forgotten about that at this point. I like <laughs> the fact that he's a drunk. <laughs> they imply that he's he's uh, been a little bit of a womanizer at times. Mm-hmm. He He's the most, con- I'll say this, he's the most convincing I am no Jedi that I've seen. Like, I thought they did a really good job of him leaving the Force behind. Yeah. There's a really good story there. Yeah. And there I don't is. know if I need to read it, but yeah, there's a good story of Caleb becoming Kanan. Like, yeah, the womanizing and the drinking, and it's a much more realistic, all your friends have been murdered, and (laughs) everything you believed is gone, screw the universe. And I'm going to hide, you know? Yeah. Like, but I'm still going to live. The few other hiding Jedi we've seen are not great at hiding. And I I know that the Obi-Wan book isn't canon, but not great at hiding. Using the Force all the time. Um, Cal Cal Kestis. Using the Force, getting caught. Uh, Ahsoka can't help herself. Using the Force, getting caught. Uh, Kanan moves on. Not well. (laughs) In an unhealthy way. No, he's not a well-adjusted man, but he becomes just a man. You're right. Yeah, he does move on. In in a way that we haven't seen. In a way I haven't seen uh, portrayed before. You know, Ahsoka's always, like you said, Ahsoka's always got that nagging. Obi-Wan and Yoda are still Jedi. They're just on missions, you know. He just says, screw it. (laughs) Yeah. It makes that opening scene in Rebels where he puts the lightsaber together like much more powerful. Like, and I rewatched that scene before this, and they do a good job, like a, a close shot kind of of him and his face, and you can see that like turmoil. Like, I can't believe I'm about to have to do this after I've let it go. Well, he doesn't use it in the book at all. The yeah. cover has him with a lightsaber, by the way. The, the cover of the book has Kanan with a lightsaber and he never uses it. It also has an ultra sexified version of Hera. So does this book. Let's be very clear. John Jackson Miller talks about her beauty a lot, uh-huh. a lot, you know, and, and I know he, he, they're trying to tell, uh, you know, it's supposed to be, um, I, I guess my pro- biggest problem with the book, I did enjoy it. You know, we talked about this earlier. There's not, a, there's, it's, it's somewhat shallow in the sense there's not a ton to really get into um, unless you really, really want to get into the machinations of the mining, <laughs> which I do not. <laughs> 
<laughs> one of my, not my disappointments, but one of the things that I kind of rolled my eyes at was like, oh, look, it's a couple that hated each other at first. <laughs> then they grow to respect each other. Then they grow to like each other. And guess what? They're eventually going to grow to love each other. It just, it, I, I don't know. It wasn't the most original journey for these two characters to be on. Yeah, it's it's very much a mirror of Leia, Leia and Han. You know, where she's the believer and has a cause and all that. And he's at that point just kind of a wanderer and that sort of thing. It is very Leia and Han, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I do love the moment where he figures out that he's she's a way better pilot than him. Mm-hmm. He wasn't even using the force for like menial things. You know, you figure you're a Jedi, like, you know, you're alone in your house. You're going to like, you know, use your force to pick up your broom or something. But he's not doing any of that. He's not using it in private. He's not touching. I, I for, they, Miller did a really good job of making me forget he was a Jedi. So that when he finally used his power to save Hera, it actually was a big moment for me. I actually thought it was a powerful moment because I had written him off as even doing that. I, I knew I knew dramatically he was going to have to. But in that moment, I, I thought it worked really well. But the book is kind of slight. Let's talk about my boy Skelly, though. <laughs> the- How did you picture what Skelly looks like? Is he what race is he? <laughs> is he human? I think he's human. He's human. Is he okay? I didn't remember. Um, short. So yeah, I pictured him as like. Do you remember when you used to see like cartoons of like the old prospector who's like this like skinny dude with like this scraggly white beard? Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. talking about like I know where the rocks are <laughs> and like that mind's gonna give it up to me. <laughs> like that's how I like thought it. Skelly has one answer to everything. Let's just blow it up. (laughs) It's so many times though. It's not, it's so, it almost becomes a running gag. Uh Like they blow up the shuttle. They have this giant speeder chase to get to another shuttle. And when they get there, he blows up the shuttle. (laughs) Well, you know, because you don't see him on rebels and because he likes to blow stuff up so much that things probably aren't going to end the best for him. Yeah. But he got that son of a bitch Vidian. That's true. He's fine with it. Vidian was kind of dull. Very. But here's what I'll say about Vidian's plan go off on a little personal tangent for a minute. Recently, I think I have decided that science is a lie and all our lies we've been brainwashed. I've been watching some important videos that have recently come out, some video clips. Have you? I've taken the red pill and I can say without a doubt, screw the moon. (laughs) (laughs) Is the moon even there? Uh, you know, that moon needs to be blown up because it will attack. <laughs> I have done my research. Wait, are birds real? Are birds real? No, that, <laughs> what? Bur- no, those are strange <laughs> drones from the government. You just saw the trailer for Moonfall, didn't you? What? That's a that's a documentary. Is that that's, the video you saw? Was the trailer for that's, Moonfall? That's the deep state to trying to show us the truth, the truth about, about moons. About moons? What, when moons are hiding. <laughs> I did write down, can we stop blowing up moons and planets? It seems like every Star Wars go-to. <laughs> it's like, well, let's not blow up a planet. How about a moon? Moon sounds good. That was it. That's a very imperial plan, though, where he yeah. like looks at it and he's like, well, if I blow it up, I think they get like a 90% yield. And so he blows up some people just to test it. And they're like, good enough. Let's do it. Yeah. I mean, that's where the book, I think, gets a little bogged down is in the... Um, the politics of the mining and uh, the character of uh, Zaluna, who was like, she was like a spy or she was like a security officer. Mm-hmm. Who, I, like, I don't even know. Spied on the people of, uh, of Cinda or something. Yeah. She was recording them and 
later realizes that, whoops, sorry guys. Yeah, she's the one that like records Skelly initially, mm-hmm. right? And gets him in trouble for the first time before he, th- you know, does his first bomb. I like seeing Sloan. I didn't know this is where she came from. How, how, okay, so this is my big walk away from this book question is, how does Sloan keep getting promotions when every mission she's a part of ends in some more shit getting blown up? She's really good at passing the book. Yeah, well, she, in the epilogue, they kind of like clear it up because they hide, you know, the Empire covers up Vidian's plan um, and they give it to Baron and Sloan like she has that mysterious agent that she says, you know, Kanan helped her or whatever. And so they promote her. Now I will say I read this after aftermath. So I had read aftermath by this point. So when Sloan shows up, I was definitely like, look, I love you, Kanan and Hera, but screw you guys. My girl, my girl, Admiral Sloan's here. And, uh, I hope she wrecks you. Yeah, as soon as she showed up, I thought of you. I read this before. Yeah, this has to be her first appearance, right? It is. Yep. That's cool, though. It's cool that they took, because I didn't know that until, I mean, I didn't know about her till Aftermath. Mm-hmm. And I, I had to look back and, and when I read Aftermath, go, wait, I know that name. Oh, here's where I know that name from. Yeah, I mean, she ends up being very important, right? (laughs) And another big uh, dope is when we were getting ready to read Tarkin, and I couldn't remember where I had the book. I have this copy that comes with Tarkin and another book all together. So my copy of A New Dawn has this Tarkin and another book all in one, and Tarkin's just kind of buried in it. It's called Rise of the Empire, and it's got... Tarkin, A New Dawn, and Three Short Stories. Oh, okay. I can't even find what the hell the short stories are on here anymore. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to Any do this book is we hadn't read, this is our um, only our second John Jackson Miller book, and I think his only canon book. But John wrote, obviously, Kenobi, but he also wrote um, The Lost Tribe of the Sith, which was an expanded universe um, series of like short, long short stories. And then... Uh, he wrote, I think he wrote some comics too. I'm trying yeah. to remember. Um, but he, he's written quite a, quite a bit of Star Wars. Um, but I think this is his only canon project. What I do like, I, you know, reading the introduction with Filoni, he did work hand in hand with him on this book, right? He did advise on this book. So this is like how Dave sees their backstory. I, 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 just, I just wish there was like, how to put this? There's something missing from the book. And I don't know 100% what it is. Something that makes it a little bigger or something that makes it a little, I, I don't know how to explain it. Never mind. I just, it, it feels like it's not a hundred percent there. I always feel like there's not a good, I mean, besides, you know, all the explosions and things like that, what Count Vidian does. I don't know if I ever see a moment where Kanan decides to become a rebel or decides to throw in with her. Well, like he likes, he likes her. She's hot. (laughs) That's kind of the entire reason he follows her in this book. Yeah. Like there's just something missing there. And I don't need him to be like a full rebel by the end because he's not that when rebel starts really. No, but it's like the impact isn't there enough for what they do in the mining to have Kanan. Well, I think part of my problem with the book and maybe just my summary, but when I read my summary, it's all about the fucking miners and shit. Mm-hmm. Right. It's all about the machinations of the plot. I guess there's I wish the plot was more about them and less about the mining. You know, I know they're they're just kind of cogs in the story. 
in a way, I mean, we're focusing on them, but they're kind of cogs in the story. And I wish, I wish, I don't know. I, maybe I wish it was more personal of a story. I was going to say, there's not a lot in the story that gives Kanan a reason to want to join the rebels. So I'm going to join up with her because she's hot is as good as you can get because he doesn't really get any other reason from her. She's just the empire's bad and I'm hot. And, and that's kind of it. Well, she's trying to be careful about it too, right? She's trying to, you know, I mean, there is no rebellion yet. No, really. I know. But he's he's very hesitant even in the cartoon when she wants to join up with the rebels. And he's like, no, no, no. We need to go back by ourselves. Well, it's because he's, he's still waiting further instructions. Like he doesn't, he's checked out. I mean, even when we get to rebels, he's checked out. You know, he's he's come to care about her and he's come to care about the crew and stuff by then. But um, that's the story I want. I want to see them picking up the rest of the crew, right? Like, because mm-hmm. because Sabine and and um, Zeb are already on the ship when we meet them, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like they're they're. But then again, I didn't I didn't realize this book took place six years before until I looked it up. Yeah, there's a lot of time in there, and I, I think that's the emotional part. Like, why why did Kanan stay with her that long? if he was still trying to hide himself. Like, I don't need him to be a rebel, but maybe if there was more of a emotional beat or a inspiring something or other of, I need to protect Hera. Yeah, she definitely doesn't need protected. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. moment here or there, but, you know, in a way that anybody else would. No, I, I, I think, I agree. I mean, I liked at the end, though, when he said, when she's like, well, come with me and be a rebel. And he's like, well, no, but I'll be on your crew. And it was kind of his way of like sticking with her and joining her without committing to anything bigger. Mm-hmm. I mean, the problem is how naive is that? Right. <laughs> like she's going to be using her starship for, for rebel operations. You're going to get involved. Yeah. Don't, don't church it up. Kanan. Like you may be <laughs> hiding and saying you're not going to play around, but you're still carrying your lightsaber around. Yeah. He still <laughs> has it. Yeah, you didn't throw that thing in the trash or anything. No, when he when he when he got it out, I was like, oh, I can't wait for the scene where he brings out his lightsaber. Nope. Is that where he keeps it in general? Like on it strapped on his thigh or whatever? Well, he keeps it in the two pieces. So one oh, is right. yeah. on the back of his belt, kind of, and the other's on the side or something. He clicks them together. Kind of disguises it a little bit, I guess. Yeah. By having it look like two different pieces. I wanted to read it because I love Rebels and I did enjoy it, but it's uh I'll forget it in a couple of weeks. Like I'll, I'll remember the beats. I'll remember their relationship and things like that. But um, uh, there's not a ton to say about it. It's about how Hera and Kanan meet and it doesn't, it stays that course, you know? <laughs> I think this is why I forgot that my copy of Tarkin was hidden within this right. book because it's such an odd pairing because Tarkin is so deep and this book is so light by comparison and it's it's a, it's a fine book, but it's not something that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. I think the best thing this book does is its portrayal of Caleb slash Kanan, how he's gotten to the point where he is, and just like we were talking about his um, the fact that he has completely tucked himself away and changed who he is and has left him behind. I think that's probably the best part of the book. Yeah is is how they uh do that honestly the best part of the book might be the prologue it might be the same as (laughs) obi-wan the people who had taught kanan as a child had left him with a handful of skills and some parting advice nothing more that had been their total legacy 
Heeding their instructions was all he owed them. He would continue to avoid Coruscant, to avoid detection. He didn't understand what he needed to stay strong for, but he'd continue to defend himself against anyone who challenged him. And the Force? Well, it might be with him, or it might not. Kanan would get by either way. He always had. He slapped the underside of the ghost and winked as he made for the ramp. Let's go somewhere. So, Ryan, we got a special kind of occasion next episode. Yeah, it might have seemed like it's been longer, but <laughs> next episode is our two-year Execute Chapter 66 anniversary. And to celebrate, we are finally getting to the Big Bang that started the expanded universe, Heir to the Empire by Timothy Zahn. I will go ahead and say it is better than you even remember. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. I, I was prepared to be disappointed, but we'll talk about it in two weeks. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We appreciate you taking time out of your lives. We will talk to everyone else very, very soon. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh. Roger, roger.